Hi, everyone, and welcome to today's episode of the FPA podcast. Today, we're going to focus on how to create a commercially successful business. We're going to be talking about the importance of understanding the business that you're in, being a financial planner. We're going to talk about the key metrics and and how to measure those key metrics to make sure you have created and you have a sustainable business going forwards. And we're really going to focus on the importance of having a good business plan, how to create one, how to focus on one, how to make sure that all the staff in your business are empowered and engaged with that business plan. I hope you enjoy today's episode and I'd encourage you to join us on community to talk about some of your experiences with running your own financial planning businesses and building your own business plan. Thank you and enjoy today's episode. Hi, everyone, and welcome to today's podcast on how to create a commercially successful business. I'm joined by Simon Hoyle and John Hewison. For those who don't know our panelists today, I might start with you, John. Can you let everybody know who you are and what you do and why you're here today? My name is John Hewison. I'm the chairman of Hewison Private Wealth, a single office independent financial planning company in Melbourne. I've been in the financial planning profession for 36 years and I'm not actively advising today these days but still head up a business that's carried on with me with my younger colleagues. I've also had a considerable amount of experience working with the FBI over the years and fairly passionate about professional standards. My name is Simon Hoyle. I'm head of market insight for Core Data Research. Being with the business now a bit over three years, spent 30 something years before that as a financial reporter and journalist, and most recently was editor of Professional Planner magazine before joining Core Data. At Core Data, we do quite a lot of work looking into what drives consumers to do things, what their preferences are, how they like to be served, and how they like to be reached. We work with financial services organizations ranging from some reasonably small advice practices uh, right through to the largest banks and financial institutions in the country. It's my job to try to convert the data that we produce out of the work that we do into meaningful insights, more or less successfully, I have to say, sometimes more successfully than at other times. Uh, but the idea is to give give people something that that is tangible and something that, that makes sense to them out of out of the vast amount of work that we do thanks Simon. john i mean with the with the focus being on business success a financial planning business that's operated somewhat outside the the remit of larger institutions and things for 36 years uh, what's a successful financial planning business mean to you what does it look like to you what experience of success have you had in in your business that our members can learn from I think that before I became involved in financial planning, my background, I had about 20 years experience in corporate life and 10 years of that at senior management level. So I I suppose I was fortunate coming into a private practice that I had already had a lot of experience in terms of business planning and management. So I was very quick to reflect in our initial business plan, a lot of the core beliefs that I wanted to have bring into a new business and the things that I was most passionate about. And they were all around models of excellence, professional standards. I've always been a great fan of empowerment as a management tool. I don't believe in the tiered management model. Empowerment was a very important thing. And we also said from day one that we wanted to have a succession plan so that I wanted to build a business that I'd be proud of, that had quality and that other people would want to carry on beyond my demise. So that, that was that was our starting point. And I actually just went and revisited our current business plan, which is almost identical to the original. It's, it's got a few enhancements to it, but by and large, it's exactly the same as it was when we first started out back in 1985. 
Do you think being a good financial planner by itself necessarily means that you're going to have a good financial planning business or is there a lot more to it than that? There's a lot more to it than that. And I think that there are different ways of going about financial planning and our business model, which we adapted based on our experiences along the way. I mean, our model mightn't have changed, but experiences taught us to adapt to certain circumstances. So we very quickly adapted to wanting to build a business that was not transactionally based. If you go back to the to the 80s when we started, financial planning was by and large a retirement business and was very transactionally based. So I saw that as being a recipe for failure. You couldn't possibly build any sort of a business successfully and to have value going forward if you're as good as your last transaction. So we look to form long-term relationships with our clients and to be able to provide an ongoing service which we believe was essential to good to good financial planning practice. So that was sort of the model that we run now. We run true individually managed accounts. So every client's portfolio is individually designed and managed on an ongoing basis. And we're all around relationships. Not everything we do is relationship driven. Client is absolutely our priority and achieving their outcomes. Who are the people around the business that are helping run the business rather than helping support the planners, I guess? What, what are they doing? What are they focusing on? Well, we operate in what we call pods so that every client is going to have a service delivery pod consisting of a senior advisor, an associate advisor, that's somebody who's going through our graduate mentoring program, and a client service manager. And that client service manager will be responsible for all of the day-to-day communications in respect to managing the client's affairs. So it, it really doesn't matter what it is, whether it's banking, whether it's paying bills for them, whether it's arranging whatever they want, want us to arrange, that's what the client service manager does. And then everything is interlinked through our internal systems so that if you were to phone me and I answered the phone today and you you were a client of one of my colleagues, I could immediately go to your account and find out exactly what you've been talking to your advisor about and any of the issues that were outstanding. Simon, we've worked quite extensively with Core Data to build some tools and resources and training and education for our members around running good quality businesses and, and professional financial planning practices. Can you just quickly start off with, if you can, just covering the tools and sort of resources that we've looked to build together? So the principal tool you're talking about there, Ben, is what we call the the Ready Index, which is a, a benchmarking tool designed to help the owners of financial planning practices gauge how their business is performing, both in absolute terms, but also in relative terms. So to benchmark it against other practices, see where they're perhaps doing well, where they're doing perhaps not quite so well, and what levers are available to them to to pull to improve the performance of, of the business. It's called the ready index. The word ready is an acrostic. Bear with me while I try to remember what the letters stand for, Ben. But R stands for risk and compliance. So that's an assessment of whether a practice's risk and and, and compliance processes and, and procedures are properly documented and indeed whether they're followed because documenting them is one thing. Obviously, following them is sometimes something else. E stands for efficiency and technology adoption. And we know through not just the Ready Index, but through other work that we do, principally the advice tech report that Core Data produces for net wealth each year, that the smart adoption of technology really drives practice efficiency and profitability. A in the word ready stands for aspirations. That's really kind of how do the principals and the owners of the firm want the firm to grow What are their growth plans, their aspirations? D stands for differentiation to meet client needs. 
it's a bit of a stretch that one, but that's to do with client segmentation. Is the client base segmented? Has the practice identified its ideal client? And uh, having set, done the segmentation exercise, services actually tailored for each of those segments and are they delivered profitably to each, each of the segments? And finally, the why is for, for yield and that's around issues of, of profitability and so forth. And so it's a relatively straightforward process for a practice to go through that benchmarking exercise. It takes about 20 to 25 minutes. You need a little bit of financial information at hand about the practice before you start. So you don't have to keep ducking off and, and digging out the numbers. It's all conducted online. Uh, and then when, when you've finished it, you, you get a score uh, on each of those factors and an overall score for the practice. And it also tells you how you, you're performing relative to other practices. It, it's a handy tool, but if there isn't a plan in place, if the business isn't properly planned and sort of structured properly, then going through any sort of benchmarking exercise is interesting, but ultimately not particularly useful. I mean, it, businesses like John's haven't been running since 1985 by accident, right? Success isn't an accident. Success is the result of, of a process. And there's a saying I'm sure many people have heard that planning without action is futile and action without planning is fatal. And the key to it is is actually planning, having a business plan. And the best business plan you can have is one that actually exists. It's got to be on paper. It's got to be shared with the relevant people inside the organization who are going to make it happen. It's got to be monitored actively and regularly. A business plan that exists in your head is actually no plan at all. You've got to get it on a piece of paper. And there's a process you can go through to, to do that. Sometimes licensees will step in to help practices get a business plan together. Although we know from the licensee research that we've done this year, overall satisfaction with how licensees support practices on business planning is actually pretty low. Of the 12 service elements that we assess, it's ranked 10th uh, in terms of satisfaction. So it's low. It's a lot of scope there for licensees to step in and help practices plan better. But, you know, any plan is better than no plan at all, I guess, is the bottom line, provided you stick to the plan that, and do what you say you're going to do. So I don't think you gave yourself enough credit there, Simon, for remembering what each of the letters meant in the ready index. So well done with that. And just to finish off, there's two more tools there that we provide members. There's a ready index light, which is available for non-professional practices. And then there's a client satisfaction survey tool. Yeah, the full ready index has been initially made available to professional practices, as you say, but there's a cut down version too. What I've picked up from just this opening conversation is that number one, it's really important to know what your business is. And for our members, their business is financial planning. In saying that, that's what they're providing to their clients. That's where they're making the money, but that's not what is going to ensure that you've got a successfully run business. You need to understand that there are metrics that you need to measure in your business, such as those that are available through the Ready Index. You are making the right kinds of progress. And the way to make that right kind of progress is, is to have a business plan, plan in place. So John, what are the kinds of things that you look at in your business plan and you think about how we're going to move our financial planning business forward on a year-to-year, multi-year, a five-year type basis? Well, I, I guess it's there are various stages to it. The, the first stage is that the the shareholders meet four times a year to review their aspirations so that we can make sure that everybody's on the same page and everybody has the same future aspirations for the business where they see it going in the future. Then that goes to our annual 
strategic planning day, which involves the directors, shareholders and, and senior management. And they workshop through the current state of play, where we see things needed to, to be improved, where we want to see the next 12 months and beyond, what initiatives we need to put in place. And that usually it usually centres around people and systems. And we're heavily reliant on systems, have been since the 19, late 1980s, we developed our initial operating system, which, which allows us to manage IMAs in a very efficient manner. And that, of course, is, is blown out now to be a full practice management operating system, which incorporates all sorts of things, in, including client management, inbuilt compliance features that, that uh, ensure that our, our people are kept on the right track. Not that we expect that they'd go off the track, but there are various mechanisms within the operating system that ensure that we're compliant in the things that we're doing. And over the years, of course, we've evolved into data downloads rather than manual entry and, and straight-through processing and various other things which, which um, bring about an enormous amount of efficiency. And we, we don't see systemic efficiency being our ability to reduce the amount of people we have. We see systemic efficiency as making us more efficient so that our people can spend more time face-to-face with our clients. So we'd rather our client service managers be jumping on the phone and, and asking Mrs. Bloggs how her new baby daughter's going rather than sitting around data entering all day. So I think they're the sort of main focus. And I mean, obviously, we've got a responsibility to operate a profitable business and, and to be providing us with sufficient capital funding going forward to spend what we need to spend on the business, uh, particularly in the area of, of systems. But then there are also the other growth pressures that come along as, as you grow, you get more people, you get more people, you need more space. I think probably the most important initiative I've taken in my business life was that early in the piece, we, we decided that we were going to close the business for two days a year and take everybody away. And then we'd, we'd sit around for two to three days and just workshop the business. How can we do things better? How can we provide high levels of service? What sort of changes do we have to make to our systems? And our, our commitment at those, what we call a retreat, it was that any decision made at that meeting was going to be implemented absolutely by management within the next three months. And we did that for two reasons. A, that there's no point in taking people away and asking them for their input and they're not acting on it because they just won't give you any input in the future. And we wanted to ensure that people were empowered, that they were all on the same journey. We all took ownership of what we were doing and they got the pride of achievement out of what the company achieved. And they become very emotional, these retreats. We've got a staff of about 45 people now. And at times there's a lot of emotion around the table because of the culture that's built. And they're also passionate about what they're doing and passionate Absolutely. about each other. So I think that's, that's very easy. huge strength. It's very easy to to spend all our time working in the business and helping clients and, and things, but it is important to take that time away and work on the business to make sure it's successful and viable. Do you, I mean, just to get into the nitty gritty of, of the business plan, do you have big strategic areas such as people and, and systems or have you got more, uh, we've decided we want to make an upgrade to the CRM or change the CRM or change calculators or something and you've just got projects that are sort of, based around those. We're, we're great believers in the user direct methodology of, of yeah. developing worthwhile systems. We're in the year five of the redevelopment of our systems right now. It's cost us a lot of money and a lot of time and a lot of grief, but necessary. I mean, you, our other systems were sensational, very efficient, but desperately needed, needed upgrading. So we decided to recreate in more up-to-date technology. So it's taken time and money, but we're starting to see the rewards now, particularly through efficiencies. Excellent. Simon, what are you seeing done well from business plan perspective coming out of the, the Ready Index and the research you guys are doing? 
Yeah. So, you know, it's a little flippant to say a business plan, as I said before, a business plan in your head is no plan at all. When when we see businesses that are going well, that are tracking along nicely and headed towards achieving their goals, there's a few common characteristics you can start to, to tease out of how they approach the business planning process. I won't get down into the same level of detail as as John is able to, but but at a high level, it's clear that what they do at the outset is set pretty simple or, or at least easily understood and relevant and above all, actually achievable business goals. They have clear targets. They set short-term targets and they're quite specific about what the short-term targets need to be. They set medium and longer-term targets as well, but the specifics around those targets are necessarily a bit more flexible or, or, or a bit less prescriptive. They're more ideas or concepts of where they'd like the business to go. The best businesses only measure what's really important to the business. They understand what the key things are that drive the performance of the business, and those are the things that they measure. They don't waste time measuring things that they're not going to then use or don't give them any uh, any advantage. And they only manage the things that they do measure. So they're reasonably efficient in how they measure the performance of the business and they're reasonably efficient. Well, they're actually quite efficient in the way they manage those things that they measure. The other thing they do that stands out is that they monitor their progress against the plan quite frequently and quite formally. And they're pretty brutal about whether they've achieved the goals, hit the short-term goals, or they haven't, and what the reasons are for that. They review the plan periodically because things change. Conditions change, businesses change, the hopes and aspirations of the business owners change over time as well. So they adjust the business plan as appropriate, but keep to that structure of quite granular short-term and quite specific short-term goals and a bit looser medium and long-term goals. And I think to the point that John just made, the owners of the business are quite open and quite happy to share their aims, share their goals and share their progress towards those goals with everybody in the business. So everybody in the business understands what's going on. They're all pointed in the same direction and they really are pulling as, as one team. Now, the detail of how you do all of those things and the amount of work that goes into achieving all of those things is, is obviously quite significant. But the question was, what are some of the, the top level things that the successful businesses are doing? And those would be my observations. So, I mean, just to move across to the nitty gritty, John, what are some of the key metrics that you look at in your very successful business? We obviously look at cost centres and whether they key metrics are going to change according to the business. For example, our business would spend more on IT than some other or many other financial planning businesses. But we want to see where we get the efficiencies from that expenditure. We look at, obviously, one of our key measures is, is what we're spending proportionately on people, on space, on marketing and things that can be can be variables. We obviously look at our profitability. We're not too concerned about issues that we can't, for example, some of the, the key issues that probably going to be talking about are, are things like uh, compliance cost and, and PI insurance and some of the other big ticket items. That Our view is that their requirements of doing business, they're not variable, we can't influence them, but we can just make it as efficient as we possibly can and run a business as uh, compliant as it possibly can be and that should result in, if we don't have any claims on our professional indemnity insurance, then it's going to help us keep the premiums down. 
Yeah, absolutely. So there are fixed costs in businesses, there are variable costs in the businesses. How do we get the most out of the variable costs to, to make the business run profitably and efficiently? Well, as, as Simon was saying, we, we have a very specific plan, particularly our short-term plans. But for example, in terms of our people, we, we have a projection that we update regularly on where we see the need for additional people in the business going forward. So as we put on additional senior planners, they're going to need an additional associate planner. We need associate planners in their mentoring program who are eventually going to become senior planners and eventually that goes through to our succession plan and then the same with our client service managers that we as our business increases we need more of them to provide service so we have this five-year projection of, of where we're going to have to increase our staffing and then that, that obviously flows through to our premises and so on. The research that we've just pulled out of field, the licensee research suggests that only around eight in ten advice practices are actually profitable. 12% of them are actually not profitable. And, and puzzlingly, around 6% of the respondents to the survey said they don't know whether their practice is profitable or, or not, which is a puzzling and, and worrying result. But there is scope for business improvement across the board. When you look at that level of profitability across the industry, and you also have a look at some of the results that come out of the Ready Index, Ben, which, which you'll have seen as well, even the practices that you think would be amongst the best in the country, there is significant scope for improvement in business performance. And a lot of that comes down to the planning, as John has said, a lot of that comes down to having the vision for the business in the first place, and then creating the plan that's going to help you get there to, to achieve that vision. It surprises me to hear you say that, Simon. I mean, it's, to be very simplistic about it, it's like any business that you need to have a product or a service that represents value to the consumer and that the consumer is readily prepared to pay for and that you can produce that product and the quality at a price that will make a profit. And we've never had a problem from that point of view. I mean, we want to provide a very, very high quality service, but we're able to price that through systems efficiency, obviously that we're able to price it at a level that is attractive and it's profitable. And do you think you've been more successful in achieving that because you've had a bit more control over the business yourself, the, the way you're doing business, what you're measuring in the business and, and not had necessarily other businesses telling you how it should work and what they, being the focus of their business, not, not your own business? I probably won't be so diplomatic in my answer. I got the impression from a very early stage that, that I didn't understand the structure of the financial planning industry. I didn't understand why, where the tiers of management came into place and there were so many levels of the old sort of fund manager, dealer group, advisor, sort of strata and everyone's charging a margin. I mean, at the end of the day, the client's just not going to pay enough to support that. So we very early particularly after our experience with the 1987 stock market crash, we decided just to bring everything in-house and set up our own portfolio administration systems. We didn't worry about a trustee because we put everything in the name of the client and addressed them care of our office so we could look after it all. So there's a couple of levels of cost cut out immediately. Uh, and then having control over, over all of our, our internal cost structures and ability to look for efficiencies has been a, a great asset to us. So you talked about empowering your staff earlier, John, how much visibility do you give them over the business plan? How much do you give them the ability to run aspects of it, to take ownership of different bits of it? We have absolute transparency. We share everything with everybody. They all understand. We want them to know that it's a successful business, that they've got a sound job and they've got a company 
They're working for a company they can be proud of. So we don't hide anything. We share with them the shareholders' aspirations. If you come into, the, into our office, you'll see things plastered all over the wall about their core beliefs and about the business plan. They all have access to the business plan and we go through it with them every year. So we concentrate very heavily on this involvement, empowerment philosophy so that if somebody joins us, we'll, we tell them what our expectation is in terms of them being prepared to take ownership of their own tasks. We say to them, if you make a mistake, we don't want to hear about the mistake. We want to hear how you solved it. Obviously, they need to report what mistakes have taken place so they can go on our various registers. We give them the ability to recompense clients if they've made a mistake and the client's upset. They want to send them a bunch of flowers or they want to, want to send them some theatre tickets or whatever it is. They've got the ability to do that. And we look for them to use their initiative and make their own decisions. You find that that forms a culture and an environment that people just live by it. I mean, they just love it and they feed off each other looking for things that they can do and solutions they can reach. And it just gives us as a business a huge amount of powerful input from our front-end users. And you you mentioned before that one of the key focus of the business is, is kind of succession and that succession planning. Do you find that that kind of empowerment and an ability to take ownership of problems and issues and solutions and enables that buy into that succession planning process and gets them thinking that they're, they're a real part of this business and they're a future bit of the success of this business. Yeah, yeah, it's very powerful. And I think, I mean, the succession part is a very important part because we employ graduates into our graduate program. So commerce or a business graduate is going to take probably three to five years to get through our, our mentoring program. And we sponsor them through their postgrads and they work under the mentoring of senior planners, have experience in working with clients and so on. But they've also been told up front that if they develop themselves in the way that we expect them to, not just getting their education qualifications, but actually developing themselves personally to be future leaders of the business, then they'll have an opportunity to acquire equity. So we tell them that pretty much from day one. And that does two things. There's obviously our desire to develop them personally and to develop the succession plan. But there's obviously the commercial interest of retaining people. You can put a lot of effort and money into developing people, but if you don't offer them some incentive for the future, they'll leave. Yeah, absolutely. And Simon, so just going back to a broader view of the research and what you see out there, what are the kinds of metrics or what are the kinds of things that businesses need or financial planning businesses need to be thinking about at the moment for the next couple of years to, to make sure they're on that right success path? Yeah, so it's a good question, Ben. It's going to come back to a certain extent to what the individual aspirations and plans are for each of the businesses that are listening in. But there's a few things that you can say are emerging as the drivers of growth, if we want to talk about that for a moment, where do the businesses think that their, their growth is, is going to come from. Before we get to that, maybe we talk to advice practices about how they view the current operating conditions. You know, how, how do they view the state of their business and the state of the industry that they're working in at the moment? And it, it's fair to say that right now, where we, we sit at the moment, it's a bit of a, a mixed bag. About a third say that the current operating conditions are okay. A bit over a third say operating conditions are either poor or not good. About a third say the operating conditions are good, but only a very small proportion, say a tiny number, say that the operating conditions are excellent. We're probably in a situation where, where the outlook for the next three to 12 months, certainly for a significant part of the industry is, is a little bit tough. And we know some of the reasons for that. There are 
increasing costs. There are all these other issues that are playing into how advice practices operate. But when we start to talk to the principles of practices about where they think growth is going to come from, overwhelmingly, they say it's going to come from just putting on new clients. They're just going to get more clients, more clients through the door, and they're going to grow that way. And that's an interesting outlook because the the evidence suggests that what's actually happening is the number of active relationships advisors have with individual clients is declining. A couple of years ago, it was up around the 200 clients per advisor mark. And now it's, uh, it's down to around about 140 or 150 clients per advisor. So the number of active engagements or number of active clients clients, advisors are dealing with appears, at least on those numbers, to be declining. And it kind of runs contrary from to the idea that, that they're going to generate growth by putting on new clients. So elsewhere, they're starting to look at things like repricing their existing advice offers. We've seen quite a lot of that taking place in the last six to 12 months, a significant number, a majority of advice practices, at least in the surveys that we've been doing, have increased the price of, of their services. And a significant number say, a significant proportion say they're going to increase prices in the year ahead. And there's some overlap in those figures, which means that there's practices that have increased, they've raised their charges in the past year and they're going to raise them again in the year ahead. And that's good news for for those practices. And they're also going to look increasingly to to offer additional services to existing clients. So add-ons to the, the core offer that they've got. So just to wrap up, we talked about the importance of knowing your business. We talked about the importance of having metrics to measure how your business is progressing. We talked about the process of having a business plan so that we can focus on the aspirations and the strategic future of the business. Is there anything else that you want to share with members, John, before we finish up today's podcast? We're very excited about the future. We didn't quite know how to budget for COVID, but we got that wrong. We budgeted for very little business, but in fact, we had a record year. We think that the outlook, there's going to be a strong demand for very high quality financial planning services, no question about it. Those that step up to the plate and provide those services are going to do very well. And I think it's the things that we've talked about, about you've got to make the investment in people and make the investment in your service offering to ensure that you can provide a quality service offering to, to clients there. Absolutely huge appetite for it. They want to be looked after. They want to have their hands held. They want to talk to somebody that they can trust. And that's really where, where I think our demand's coming from. All of our business comes from referral, though we have spent significantly on digital marketing over the past few years, and that's been huge for us. So mm-hmm. that's another area that we'll be concentrating on in the future. So I really see um, the, the foreseeable future as being very, very exciting for our profession. Yeah, absolutely. I've been saying for a long time that while these couple of years were going to be tough with FASIA changes and Royal Commission implementations, the consumers are desperate for good quality professional financial planning assistance. And if members can think about how they educate themselves and get through this transition period and think about how to run an efficient, engaging, consumer-focused business that things are looking really bright and really positive for them. Uh, is there anything you wanted to? Yeah, um, you're absolutely right. The demand for advice is solid. In consumer surveys that we do quarter by quarter over years, demand for financial advice remains solid. 
Uh, there are still some issues around trust and finding an advisor, but those can be overcome, right? Th those issues can, can be addressed. The other side of the ledger, of course, is that the supply of financial planning service is declining at the moment. The number of advisors in the industry is contracting. So you've described a transition period ahead. It is going to be rocky for some. It's going to be challenging for everybody, I think. But when we come to the end of this transition period, the industry that is created and remains is going to have an absolutely golden opportunity high demand for the services, and a relatively constrained supply of services. I'm no economist, but I think that adds up to a reasonably bright future. So the decision that advice practices have got to make is do they just want to sort of futz around and muddle their way through and add on clients here and there as, as they find them and so on? Or do they want to sit down and say, listen, we can take a structured, disciplined, forward-thinking approach to developing our business and we're in the, in the right place at the right time to create something truly, truly amazing and truly valuable. And I think that's a fantastic point, Simon. The number of conversations I have with members saying, it's not the same as it used to be. We, we can't do business the way we used to be. It's not fair. I think there's so many more opportunities by thinking about what is in front of us how can we better do business going forwards? What are all the growth opportunities for financial planning going forwards and focusing on those and think about how we get to there rather than focusing on what's changed, why is it changed, why is it not fair? Because I think that's there's a really positive future out there for, for the profession, for members, for, for their businesses. And if we can just focus on that and grow our businesses, then I think things will look fantastic going forward. So just in summary, I think that the key messages that come out today is understand your business, understand the metrics that you need to measure to make sure your business is moving forward and being successful and have a plan in place. The same way that we work with our members to understand their goals and objectives and financial plan position and put a plan in place, we need to do the same for our business. They're different plans, but they're equally important if you're looking to run a successful financial planning business. So I want to thank John and Simon for your time today. I hope you enjoyed today's podcast members. Join us in community to have a conversation about this, share some tips, share some ideas on how, how you've done your own business plans and what you're thinking about for your business going forwards. And we look forward to seeing you on the next episode of the FPA podcast.